Salon, and I have a very special guest with me today that I was able and willing to get up early for. <laughs> and so I'm in the right state. I'm liminal. And uh, this ought to be a lovely chat with uh, this lady I'm going to introduce right now. So she has this website. It's lucidpathwellness.com. But what's going on here that attracted me is her ideas of wellness, which everyone understands that kind of follows the vibe over here. We enjoy uh, getting off the allopathic train. Now, I'm suggesting always you do your own thing. I'm not a medical uh, professional. And so I was kind of looking into all this and the shamanic healing, and then I found these books, these wonderful books she wrote. And all this kind of came through the net of Patrick. And so the more I was digging in, the more I was in love. And then there's she apparently has or had a good relationship with crows or ravens. <laughs> this is a good sign. And so I want to bring on my guest for today, who is Wendy Haley. So welcome, Wendy, to the Cosmic Salon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I am in gratitude. And as I told you, I got up for you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So let's just get right into introducing yourself and bring in the woo. This show is all about the woo. So just like a a bio, you feel is relevant. And in here, I want to look at the alternate health ideas and the stuff which have come a long way since you were first coming out and talking. And so the languaging doesn't have to be so mysterious these days, thankfully. Also, I encountered a very lovely to me surprise when I was doing a deep dive about you talking about vampires. And so <laughs> I, I totally am going to go there with you. And All right. so we're going to go there. And so we're talking energetics and time, space, travel portals, our psychic wellness, all this good stuff that I know you're wrapped up in. Uh, all right. So I am, I, I, the way I describe it is I have a foot in two different worlds. I have one foot in the, the clinical world where I'm a mental health professional. And then I have a foot in the shamanic world where I, I've been an apprentice for, I don't know, over 20 years. And uh, it's been an interesting, interesting place to be um, because I've, as a mental health practitioner <laughs> for almost the same amount of time that I've been a shamanic practitioner, I have been, well, in the beginning, I was 
well, in the beginning and for quite a long time afterwards, I was embarrassed by the uh, shamanic side of my life (laughs) because by Western psychological standards, I am delusional, right? I'm seeing and hearing things that aren't there and, uh, and that's not cool. (laughs) But on, on the other side of it, I am mentally stable and uh, high functioning. So we don't really have a context in our culture for people who, like me, start having these spontaneous visionary experiences. So we just kind of tuck them away. Or that's what I did. I tucked them away and just found them to be fascinating. Like I was really intrigued by them. And then uh, all of these crazy synchronicities happened and it led me to study this thing called shamanism. Uh, this was back in the late 90s. However, you can do the math, however many years <laughs> later. <laughs> My brain doesn't work in I that way. I had heard you mention it was in 98 when you had... When you yeah, were 98 was... Yeah. Yep, exactly. That was when I had my first visionary experience that was uh, really trippy, but cool and and uh, eye-opening in lots of ways. Um, but yeah, I didn't tell anybody about them. And then when I started learning how to do, how to, how to go into a visionary state intentionally, I kept it under the radar. So I, I had this... As I felt a strong, strong pull to be of service in this way to other people, especially as a psychotherapist, <laughs> I, uh, I saw the limitations of psychotherapy. And so I uh, w- felt like I had come home when I started learning these more indigenous perspectives and techniques, but I kept the two practices very separate. And I, I still do. But I uh, was doing this shamanic work out of my house for years, way under the radar. That's so and, old uh, school. I love it. <laughs> and so it was, it was totally word of mouth. And, uh, and yes. then fast forward, I've had a series of counseling jobs where I worked for different uh, agencies. And um, when, I, when we moved to Vermont back in early, it's like 2004, I got a job with the state of Vermont as a uh, doing short-term counseling uh, through this employee assistance program, which is, you know, very clinical. Yeah. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and fast forward, I got, uh, uh, in 2013, I was introduced to this healing chamber, which is a light and sound frequency healing chamber. I had such a strong reaction to it. I flew out to, from Vermont to Colorado to try it and uh, had such an amazing experience and profound experience that I was working on a business plan on the plane ride home and uh, ended up opening this wellness center, which is the reference, you referenced the website, Lucid Path Wellness, Yes, because of this healing chamber. And I quit my state job, cashed out my retirement and bought this in, intense huge healing chamber that's in the other room across from me right now. <laughs> I refer to it as my, my coworker. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I still kept my sh- healing practice under the radar out of my house, but it was getting to be such a pain in the ass to schedule two different locations. So I brought the, brought my healing practice here. And now I have this storefront in the capital of Vermont on the main drag, like the the Capitol building is a stone's throw away from my 
my wellness center and I'm doing this shamanic work and this, and this healing chamber, like, <laughs> I, I love this so much. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's radical in the best way in the, in the most like healthy, beautiful, let's move this forward kind of way, not destructive in all that that we're seeing. <laughs> yeah. That's certainly my, my aim is to move away from the destructive thing. <laughs> yes, yes, same. Yeah. Uh, I think all of us that are seeing, are, are, you know, the other lights out there. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, I don't know if um, if that's enough of a bio introduction. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that that's beautiful. And that also, I'm going to ground this house with just a little bit of trying to understand the foundation of you. So if you don't mind just a little bit of background, what was your relationship with pop culture when you were little? What did you like? What was out there that was playing that you enjoyed that sticks out? Well, I'd say music was a huge part of my life as a kid. And of course the natural world, but that's not necessarily pop culture. Right. I, but, I always get into that, but you can go right there. But yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with um, my parents, my, my mom in particular was really, um, she was very hip. <laughs> so our house was filled with music, the Beatles, Grand Funk Railroad, you know. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like um, Pink Floyd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All this good stuff. Yeah. But but old, old stuff, right? Well, that's our parents' so that was, generation. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm, my parents had me pretty young, so they were, they were, uh, yeah, they were very young parents at that time. So I was a classic latchkey child <laughs> in, the, in the 70s. Yeah, <laughs> That's what they called us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For those of you who don't know what that is, is basically you were on your own. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely from another world. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not happening these days. No, no none, I, of, none of it. None of it. Just go outside and play and go where you want. That does yeah. not exist anymore. No, and I and I watched my fair share of of the TV, so like the Brady Bunch and and Flintstones, and so that pop culture wise, like I loved Bugs Bunny and yeah, all of that, and and I I liked like one of my favorite movies when I was coming up was Young Frankenstein. Oh yeah, <laughs> big Mel Brooks fan. Yeah, Terry Gar did such a good job too. They all did. Oh yeah, Madeline Kahn. She always reminded oh. me of my mom. Yeah, I love. I call her Saint Madeline. I love yeah. her so much. She's amazing. Yeah, I was sad when she passed. Yeah. yeah. So, oh my God, what about since you're Gen X too? What about um, HR Puff and stuff and all that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Girl, Watch the, that. The Crofts really our generation. Yep, Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> that was a trip. It's it's hard to describe when everyone was like Teletubbies. I'm like, oh no no no. We no had, no no. We yeah. had the Crofts, and they had a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Let's start with HR Muffin stuff. Yeah, it was trippy. <laughs> oh my god, it was amazing. And Land of the Lost and Land of the Giants. Oh yeah, all that good stuff. It was, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was, it was like an event, right? Yes. (laughs) Saturday morning, especially in the fall when the shows would, the new shows would uh, roll out. It was an event. Yeah, that's. That was also (laughs) when seasons were a long time as well. They weren't just like six episodes. Exactly. Yeah. Whole different thing. So I wanted to get your relationship with nature when you were young as well. 
And you kind of gave us a hint that you had one, so. Yeah, well, I mean, because of being a latchkey kid and growing up in a, in a you know, like a, a working class family, um, so not a ton of money, um, you know, you, you go outside and you entertain yourself with uh, the dirt and sticks and rocks. And <laughs> <laughs> the natural world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and yeah, my brother and I were just talking about this the other day. He's seven years younger than me. And the places that we, the adventures we would go on in the summer, you know, get on our bikes and go down to the creek and the whole world was this sort of magical place where, um, you know, you would make turtle friends and yes, you would just make up games and stories revolving around the natural world and, uh, and then, you know, try not to get into too much trouble yes, or hurt, hurt yourself too much. Cause we were doing some crazy stuff that yeah. probably we shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, we did too. I think our whole generation did. I know, right? Close calls, a lot of them. <laughs> well, we were just allowed to. Did you make forts? Totally made forts, yep. <laughs> I love forts so much. Inside and outside, absolutely. Yes. Sleeping oh. outside in tents and yes. having slumber parties. Yeah, oh. So much yeah, that fun. Was, it's it's yeah. hard to describe the, a lot of this to, you know, real young people now. And I had just been back in college. And so the world is, it may as well be the 1700s. <laughs> like, because we've gone, you know, we've, technology, everything in our lifetimes has really, with Moore's Law, right, has just exponentially changed. And there are many lines in which we crossed where we'll never go back. Yeah, probably. So, and some of that's great and some of it's, you know, there's a little sadness to some of it too. There's a lot of it for me when I look at all of the crazy going on, but I think this is part of a bigger spiritual situation. Also, were you raised religious? I was sent to a Catholic school. And so I did, I did go to Catholic school and I, I became the story goes that at dinner time when I was 12 years old, I announced that there was no God and asked mm-hmm. if I could go to public school the next year. My parents were cool and they sent me to public school. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love you doing the production of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> That's how the story goes. In well, and I love the parents too. Okay, well, this isn't working. She wants to do this. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Well, it. I also think they were probably thinking that it would save money because tuition. To oh go yes. To a Catholic school. Yes. Is expensive for folks who are working their asses off. Oh yeah. Well, and we all know you pay your dues in the church. So. <laughs> yeah. In more ways than monetary. Yeah. Oh yeah. This been a situation going on there a long time. One of the things I forgot to mention was that I did have invisible friends when I was little that I would talk to out and, and have relationships with. Well, were outside so give us a description, like what was going on? Well, I was, because I was an only child until I was seven, I think I was just entertaining myself. And uh, I'm one of those highly sensitive people. Yes. So as a kid, I think I, I just, I was okay spending a lot of time by myself. I mean, we all have varying degrees of sensitivity when we're kids, so it's not unusual to have invisible friends. Oh, not at all. No. Um, but, uh, no, they were, it's just like, they felt like they were normal 
everyday companions, like no big deal. And my parents, or my, well, my mom, she didn't um, hinder that process at all. She didn't necessarily encourage it either, but she didn't tell me like, oh, stop that. She, yeah. did, she never did that. Yeah. But, but the interesting thing was that when I started having the visionary experiences and then started learning how to enter these states again, I was reintroduced to my invisible friends. <laughs> Yes, that's what I was wondering. Was there a deeper connection? Now, you know, I well, you may not know, but I, I do pull up to all this. This is what's great about innately coming in before the programming sets in that this isn't real. That's not real. This isn't that. You know, the, all that stuff. Right. Kids have a shot. <laughs> it's some real awareness of the world around them. Yeah, they're so open, right? And <laughs> yes. So they can perceive so much more before that that left brain kicks in, <laughs> and like in the construct that we've that's been created around us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you did re-encounter or have a a sort of a a reunion, I guess. So when you started to be open and your psychic body was coming together and all that sentience, you know you were able then to reconnect with these energies that you had been friends with when you were a child. What was that like? It was kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like a, it, sort of a clicking into place, like a puzzle piece that was out of, uh, off to the side, got slipped into its rightful place. Where it became really evident is when I was sitting in the backyard in my little place in Denver, right around the time that the vision started happening. I was just sitting in the backyard. It was a sunny day. I remember this. And all of a sudden, just it was like out of this, from the sky, this story dropped into my head that translated as a children's story. And in that children's story, there were two invisible friends. Mm. And so that was kind of, it sort of going through that process solidified my reconnection with them in a way. At that particular time I had, I'm making it sound very cogent right now, but back then it was like all of these disparate parts that were, or disparate experiences that were happening. And I hadn't quite put all the pieces together and I wasn't quite understanding what was happening. But now when I look back, I was like, oh, okay. It was just, this was a reintroduction to all of these things I didn't understand at that time. So I ended up writing a children's book and it was the first book that I published called Inside Out before the movie came out. And that was a very magical process too. Um, that the story got edited quite a bit. So there's no longer two imaginary friends. There are, there's only one. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that was that was kind of me in writing that story re-solidifying that relationship with them in a way that I don't think I completely understood at the time. There's so many layers to it. It's this this idea of fractal realizations that engages the higher consciousness at some point. It's easy to go back and spiral back down and see how you got there from where you are or how you got here from where you were. 
<laughs> like, huh. I'm very Dr. Seuss. Oh, wait. Can I say that? Uh-oh. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I know. Pull back. Um, <laughs> this is one of those things that I'm enjoying in life right now. This deepening of the experience and the well in which we have ourselves swimming in, in this point of consciousness where you're over there and you're windy. Haley, and I'm over here and I'm Nish and I'm having my stories and you're having yours, is that the more of this illusion of time and space and experience we find ourselves in, the deeper in, the deeper the well gets, the more our minds are open and it becomes way more mysterious and beautiful if we allow it. Absolutely. I wanted to, if you have something there. I was just going to say, and magical. Yes. Well, I love the sparkle of magic. I I mean, the world is, to me, a very magical place. And no matter how deep we get into things that we consider absolutely solids, they seem to morph and change. Uh, There do seem to be certain laws that we are able to observe, fractals and uh, a certain math that seems to really hold up. But in the end, there's a gossamer aspect to everything. There's a transience that is, it seems almost untouchable by any kind of logical means. Even in the scientific, scientific paradigms of fantastic study they're getting into these days, at least openly. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, I think it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're talking about consciousness and the spark of life. I don't know where, in the end, that puzzle is all put together. Honestly, I mean, it seems like hubris to suggest that we could even get to a place of full knowing of all that. But who knows? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. It's and maybe a, do we need to know? Yeah. Well, that's my thing is no. And, but I allow myself lots of that right branded space. Got to get this out. Cause I keep looking over here. So I love this, that you have a connection. Of course you do. So I'm not surprised. It's not surprising, but I love seeing the visual here uh, with you in this crow, which looks to me like a crow and not a raven from the beak. What's the story there? And people well, that yeah. will find you will see that you have some sort of, there's a photo of you on your website with one. So, yeah. Yeah. That was a, um, I'm a Raven girl, but Cor- Corvid's in general yeah. is, um, I'm they're They're all in the same family, but if, yeah, if you could see the space I'm sitting in, there's, there are Ravens everywhere. They're they're my primary ally. I'm even wearing a, a brass cast of a raven talon, which I have to be careful not to impale myself with because it's really sharp. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be symbolic the day yeah. that that comes after you. So yeah, I, um, one of my first uh, when I was learning how to access these other these dreamtime realms in the beginning intentionally one of the exercises was to connect with a, an ancestor who loved you and would help you 
uh, understand this place and work with this place and this place meaning the dream time. And I connected with an ancestor who called herself Raven Talker and she was a shapeshifter and she would be Raven form sometimes, human form other times, and then a combination of the two other times. And she's been like my primary ally in the in the dream time and all the work that I do in that place. And uh, yeah, so that's that's how the, the raven came to be. It's beautiful. And I associated, of course, immediately with the Fatamagana and all that beautiful stuff um, that I also associate with. And so was this crow friend one that lived with you? Is this a oh, that's relationship? Actually, that, that's actually, I had just met that crow friend um, that uh, at my, my vet's office, my dog friends, their, their vet, they, I was told that they had rescued a crow mm-hmm. and that I should get up there immediately and meet the crow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did, I drove up there and then they, uh, the vet tech took a photograph of me making friends with this crow. I and, love uh, it. It was really cool. I remember, <laughs> remember um, sticking my finger out and uh, him putting his, it, like engulfing it in his beak. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> he looks like he's a fledglings. Is yeah, it, yeah. It was. He was pretty new. Yeah, yeah. But that was that was a really cool experience. They're amazing. I have rescued a couple. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I let the woods are up around my cottage. You know, every year things happen. My land is a sanctuary for our animals and the wood, (laughs) you know, like it's the wild house. It's loosely permaculture, loosely food forest, and a lot of just the bare woods. And so every year it seems like, you know, they have their mishaps, but I also allow cats to live here that aren't mine. Well, they're none of mine, but I feed the cat friends here and they have, they get to play in the, the barn. So I like to get the fallen birds up (laughs) good idea yes you're going to be a sacrifice and i don't like that with the sacred crows and so i've had to rehab a couple and the parents will come to the windows and crow and i'd bring the baby out and show i always reintroduce them back and they were just so loud and they knew the baby was in here and i would show it and uh they would be fine and in the morning they'd wake me up and I'd have to show the baby that the baby was good. Oh, it was so sweet. And then from then on, we were all friends. Now that that whole episode's over, I can speak of it because I just don't give a damn what anyone says. I'm going to help a bird out if a bird falls. Right. I, you know what? How that all started anyway is when I was living in LA, gagging me with a spoon. <laughs> I. I, this happened and they took the crow from me and then they euthanized it. And I was, I was traumatized by that. Oh, Mm -hmm. and I made a vow then (laughs) I'm like never again. And so I, I take care of them and release them. Yes. In secret. Yes. It's like the old days with midwiving too, like the cut wives and how you have to be underground. And this is one of the things in your story I enjoy with the shamanism. So let's talk about your shamanic healing practices and how they started 
And there's an origin story here with the bat. With the bat. Right. Didn't you have there? So you had, I think it's 19. It was in your vision period, wasn't it? Were you sitting on a chair and the bats in the chair? Oh, that's, that was right before I, uh, found the, uh, healing chamber. So that was, that, that was more recent. That was like, um, in 2013 that okay. the bat in the chair experience happened. <laughs> well, that's incredible. And so let's talk about this relationship with this, uh, synchronistic world via these kinds of things. And so since this is all your story, I'm just trying to line up synchronicities. We'll hone in later. Okay. So you want me to tell the bat story or do you want me to, to tell the more the introduction to the healing? Yeah, let's realm? start with the healing realm. And then I wanted, I wanted to work up to synchronicities and that bat story is amazing. I want everyone <laughs> it's to cool, know this isn't it? bat yeah. story. <laughs> it gave me the chills listening to it because as, as you know, it's magical. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what this has been like, this whole uh, getting introduced to this kind of these ancient traditions, this ancient way of, of looking at healing. And it's just, it's magical, but it also kicks your ass. The process is really important. I think that idea of hollow bones, right? The fool's crow. I don't know if you ever read his biography, uh, medicine man, who uh, talked about the concept of when you're uh, on the path of being a medicine maker, that you have to have hollow bones. You have to get to a place of having hollow bones so that you're a clear channel for healing. So basically so that your shit doesn't get in the way of somebody else's shit when you're doing healing work, which is, is a good practice, I think, for any practitioner doing any modality. Back in the day, so I have these initial experiences and um, there's lots of different stories I could tell you about that. I think before I get to the magic place, I'll tell you about the ass-kicking place <laughs> or experience. Yeah, that's important. It's a major way in which we get somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have this idea of who we are, right? This concept of self. Yes. And I think the self is important. I'm not one of those folks who says that we need to get rid of the self or the that this self is an illusion. Whether it is or it isn't, doesn't matter to me. It's that we, we certainly feel like we have a sense of self when we're here on this planet. Yes. To me, the idea is to have a healthy sense of self. That's the goal. I start having these visionary experiences, a series of them. Those experiences were, were really, really profound because I was having them. I, I, these doors were opened and I had crossed a threshold into this new territory in in my consciousness, I, I would imagine because I had stepped over this threshold and in a way said, I want more. I'm, I'm interested in doing and in, in learning more about this other place that I've been introduced to. There's a part of me, and I would refer to it as the oversoul, the higher self, whatever that the indigenous people would say is dreaming me into existence. And we each have one of these higher selves or oversouls yes. that's dreaming us into existence and creating our experiences. Um, so that part of me set up this, <laughs> set up this, these series of events that got me, uh, without me knowing it, uh, got me on the path. So getting this really cool introduction to these other, this other world and these other experiences like dreaming while I'm awake and 
holy cow, what's, what's that about? And having these really profound experiences and these visionary experiences about uh, death. I had also acquired a 1967 Mustang. This was a car that I had wanted since I was probably six years old. My mom had a 64 and a half Mustang. She had the first, first model, first, first year it came out. And she was cool as hell. And she had, she had Krager rims on it. She had a hood scoop on it. The back end was jacked up. She had loud exhaust. So she made an impression, you know, she would drop me off at school and the boys in my class would be, Oh "Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I want some of that. So when I was older, I found, I, I got a 67 Mustang. It was in bad shape. I got it to be a reliable daily driver. I had it painted the color of my mom's car, which was burgundy. I got, I got chrome rims. I got low profile tires, which didn't fit, but they look cool. And I was off. I loved Ooh, that car ride, so much. Ride. <laughs> it was, it was my identity, this car. Yeah. It was so bad that when I was at work, I would take a break and I would go look at the car and it would make me smile. <laughs> Girl. Right? So you get the picture. Yes. This is yeah. This car was my identity. Yeah. So I am in Denver and I get out of the shower. And this is one of the 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 few times I'm getting ready for work, few times I've had clear audience. A voice in my head said, check your car. And so I go outside, the the car was parked behind a fence in the backyard in an alley in this neighborhood in Denver. And I'm going out there. I have my robe on and my hair is in a towel. And I, I look, I open the door and my car is gone. And I was like, what? And I, there was some guy in his garage across the alley. And I was like, did you, my car, (laughs) it's, it's gone. Did you, you know, did you see anybody take it? And he's, he was like, no idea. It's, it was, it was, it wasn't there when I came out here. And so I called the police and they, uh, they did a, it was stolen basically. And in in Denver, they had a really high return rate on stolen vehicles. And mine was unfortunately one of the ones that was not returned. That was the beginning of my dismemberment process. Yes. Because that car was my identity and it was stolen. Yes. And so life became really difficult from that moment on for a period of time, I I would say that uh, the only good thing that had happened is that I had just uh, started a relationship with my now husband, John. That was the only kind of good thing that was going on in my life at that particular time. But I I went to a pretty dark place and the visionary experiences started getting a little more uh, weird and intense and um, confusing and i didn't i never felt like i was losing my sense of what was real and what wasn't it wasn't like that i was stepping into territory that just didn't feel very comfortable for me and i didn't have a context for it like i said before when people have these experiences in our culture we don't have somebody saying in you know in our tribes saying oh we know what to do with with someone like you <laughs> Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to teach you how to do that on your own. And I, the only reason why I, uh, got to where I was, I think, uh, was because I, I, um, had these 
really cool synchronistic events that led me to study. I didn't even look at those visionary experiences as shamanic. I didn't really even know what shamanism was at that particular time. Yeah. I maybe had a Hollywood view of it. So life started getting, I uh, started unraveling in some ways and I got into a dark place emotionally. Uh, couldn't find work. Uh, financially, I was really struggling. Uh, of course, my car had been stolen. Um, How old were you around this time? I was 32, okay. 30, 32, 33. Okay. So you've yeah. gotten past Saturn return. Yeah. Now that I look back, I can say, oh yeah, there was definitely something going on. But at that time I had no clue. Yeah. So then John and I had decided to move from Denver to Santa Barbara and that's where, where everything's really went south for me. He was doing great. (laughs) (laughs) He was surfing the coast of California and, and, and I was trying to find work and working as a secretary and working in the mall doing an, at an embroidery shop. And I was a licensed mental health counselor and I couldn't find a gig. And of course, Santa Barbara is super expensive. It's incredibly beautiful, but yeah. um, they don't really have a, a middle class there. So not a lot of opportunity. At least there wasn't back in uh, 99, which is when we were there. Yeah. So uh, life got super difficult. And then we, John's dad was, was ill. So we decided since my life was not, I wasn't able to get it together out there. Uh, we decided to go to the Jersey shore where my husband grew up and hang out with his dad and mom and, and, uh, see if we could make a go of it there. And so once we moved there, life started get getting back on course. And I had this dream. I met this, uh, I was, it was a nighttime dream where I had this, uh, I was in this setting. It was, it felt like a workshop setting. And I was approached by this man who I didn't recognize. And he came up to me and he, um, did this Vulcan like pinch on my shoulder. And I knew in the dream that this was very important. And I felt like I was going into a deeper altered state in the dream when he did this pinch on my shoulder. And then he, this is gross, but he bent over my mouth and he put his mouth on my mouth and he vomited all of this gross stuff into me and I knew I had to swallow it. Mm. And and there were there was like it was like the substance with dead bugs in it and I had to swallow it. And then he chose me for some in advanced training in this dreaming stuff. And uh fast forward like maybe seven months later, my lovely husband had for a birthday gift had given me a, a a training with this guy named Hank Wesselman. And so I went up to uh, Omega in New York, sitting in this circle the first night of the training. And Hank was introducing himself, talking about what was going to happen that week. And he stood up and he took his glasses off. And I was like, oh, that's the dude from my dream. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. And then from then, like just, just magic. So, um, so picking up the pieces again, and and this idea of of who am I? Uh, if I'm not the girl who has this vintage cool Mustang, then who am I? And that is the question, right? In shamanism, it's like, well, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and so that process began. So this apprenticeship started then really with Hank. I had done a little bit of study before that with somebody else, but it really started with Hank and he helped give me a kind of perspective on the 
uh, on shamanism in general and also a context for the experiences that I'd had, which helped me make sense of a lot of things. And he didn't even know he was doing that. He just, just by him being himself. Yeah. Um, and sadly he just died a couple of weeks ago. Oh man. Yeah. It was a bummer. Real big bummer. Well, but, it's nice um, to be having this story come up. Yeah. Yeah. See, he's, he played a really special role in my life and a lot of the lives of a lot of people too. But, um, but yeah, Hank, Hank was a, quite a character. <laughs> Did Hank, when he was here in this role as Hank, because uh, he's just pivoted, you know this, uh, was he, did he have bird-like qualities? Did Hank have bird-like qualities? Uh, I'd say he was not so bird-like as he was more, um, uh, he was more leopard-like. He okay. Was, yeah, leopard man. I think that was. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, you know, I, it's hard for me. Knowing your association with ravens and crows, uh, to set aside that symbolism of the vomit. Mm-hmm. Very. Oh yeah, exactly. Him yeah. feeding, but yeah. So well, he intro- He's the one who introduced me to Raven Talker. I mean, through Hank. That's where I met her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Knew there was some sort of uh, chain of there custody had to be there. Yeah. Magical chain of custody. Well, it's clearly it's all coming from that archetype and and so yeah through that that's what I was yeah you said it all there I'm stumbling on the words (laughs) (laughs) I was curious about the period around your car getting stolen do you recall at that time the stuff that was going on in your dream world no, I I don't recall. I don't recall that. That uh, this was so, a long time ago. <laughs> it is. It is, and you know. But sometimes there are markers. And now that I've brought it up, though, it's in your, you know, it's in your conscious mind now. I just find that interesting because this is a major pinpoint in the time map of you. I, well, what I could say is that. Sorry to interrupt you. No, carry on. Is that what was happening the day of that first visionary experience, it was, I believe it was August 21st, 1998. There was a full solar eclipse happening (laughs) in, in Leo. Right. And I'm a Leo. (laughs) And so is Hank. And then, (laughs) and then uh, 20 years later, we had the same eclipse in 2018. Yeah. The full, that last time we had a full solar eclipse here in this, on this continent. (laughs) <laughs> so yes so that felt like a bookend kind of experience for oh, me yeah. when, yes. when I when I learned I didn't know there was a, a solar eclipse that day I had the vision but um but I, I found out just in 2018 when they were talking about the first time we had this particular eclipse and I'm like no shit let me go back and check my notes to see when I had that waking dream experience yeah and it was it was that day isn't that beautiful it's pretty cool, huh? So I didn't, I mean, I don't remember a dream or the dreaming around that particular time because my car was stolen not long after that happened. Yeah. Well, it, it's so, it's so synchronistic. But this whole idea with 
how you were looking at your psyche in the outer world. And of course, the main player was your car as identity, right? And then how the shadow content comes in and moves around. And the shadow is so heavily associated with Raven and Crow and all of that, the great Morrigan. I'm seeing a lot of really beautiful magical threads here so with these kinds of synchronicities and with that as an origin story what period is it that so that's 98 what period was it that the bat experience was going on because that was mentioned in that story in that story i listened to that there were a bunch of synchronicities that were swirling around that period as well there was a series of really amazing badass synchronicities that happened in 2003 when I was invited to connect with a young man who was in a coma. Um, yes. And, yeah. So the, there was a bunch of really cool experiences that happened around that over a, a nine month period where I was connecting with this, this young man who um, had mi- mysteriously slipped into a coma and I was meeting with him in the beginning, several times a week in the dream time, he was in a hospital in Phoenix and I was in New Jersey still at the time. And, uh, so I was meeting with him just to, to kind of try to help him make sense of what was happening in his experience because he was, when we found him, he was really confused, but there were some cool synchronicities. Let's look at these synchronicities because they're going to lead us into what I wanted for behind the gate. Okay. (laughs) One of the things that happened, so this, this poor kid who's, who's in this coma, with some, something like that happens in a family. They get desperate and then they, they reach out to people like me <laughs> um, because of that, like, because they want some kind of answer or some kind of hope or something. It's a huge responsibility. I see it as a huge responsibility because of the, the vulnerable state that people are in. And so at that time, and this was, this was again, early in my apprenticeship, it was in 2003, like I mentioned, the, the young man was actually the, the brother of my, my brother's girlfriend. So that's the connection. That's how yes. the, the family had heard about the stuff I did (laughs) (laughs) through my brother out of this place of desperation. The mom is the one who wanted me to connect, I believe, because the dad didn't really buy into the stuff I was doing. And so, um, within that, that span of nine months, early in that process, I had asked, I call him Jason. I wrote a a book about this experience because it was such a, a profound experience for me, learning about the process of healing, it's a great kind of case study. And um, it's, his story is amazing. He's, he is going through a hero's journey in this process, Jason. And so um, early in, the, in that uh, process, I asked Jason, I said, when I was connected with him in the dream time, I said, hey, you know, just to, because there's some skepticism about what we're doing here. And if you're really connected with me, <laughs> or if I'm really connecting to you, can you, can you give me some information that only your family would know so that uh, we can maybe hopefully let them know that you are, I'm, I, I am actually connected to you. And so at that point I had the series of very quick experiences and I'm trying to remember the first 
experience. I saw strawberries and his mom. And then I had this quick, like my heart, my, my physical heart started, uh, the beat was off. I, I felt like it was pal- palpitating and uh, felt some anxiety. And then, yeah, I felt a tremendous amount of anxiety, a wave of it. I'm trying to remember all this stuff off the top of my head as a long time ago. And then, <laughs> and then he, he used the phrase quantum mind. When I got out of the dream time experience, uh, I went to the computer and wrote all of this down because I didn't want to forget. And when I was getting, cause I was, I was relaying all the information every time I would connect with him, I was relaying it via email to my brother who was passing it on to the family. And so I relayed this, I said, strawberries and his mom and, and then the heart, the weird heart rhythm thing and anxiety. And then, and then I, I got to the quantum, quantum something. I could, what did he say? Cause it was not a phrase I was familiar with. I, I couldn't come, I couldn't come up with it. So I, I ended up filling in the blank and I was like, well, is it, is it quantum physics, quantum mechanics or quantum leap, the show? And so I, I, I just put leap. I wrote down quantum leap thinking like, oh, maybe it was the show they were referring to. Mm-hmm. And so his mom said uh, that he loved her strawberry shortcake and that I was probably referring to some, he was diagnosed with some kind of heart, heart related weird rhythm when he was 15 and that they were concerned about that. They were going to look into it as being related to this coma state that he was in. And that he had a severe anxiety around death since he was like three or four years old. Mm. And they said quantum, she said quantum leap. She says, well, we used to watch that show, but he was really young. And so that she said, maybe, you know, maybe he was just referencing that. And so the next time I connected with Jason in the dream time, he said, that's not what I said. <laughs> he, he said it was quantum mind. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. He said quantum mind. And so when, when I um, went to the computer right after that, I plugged in the phrase quantum mind and all of this stuff came up, all of these all of these findings. Um, yes. And this is early in the Internet days. This is, in, like I said, 2003. Uh, the first thing that I came across was the quantum mind division at the University of Arizona, where they study uh, psychology and consciousness. Yes. And I went to the University of Arizona for undergrad. So there was a cool little connection there. <laughs> and then a couple of results farther down from the quantum mind division, there was uh, a website by a couple, Amy and Arnie Mendel, and they were authors. And there was a book he had written called Quantum Mind, and it explored basically consciousness, psychology, shamanism. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) All the good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, all of the stuff that I was doing right then and there. And then when I, I scrolled down farther to see what other books they had, they had a book that his wife had written, uh, Amy Mendel, I believe. Again, I'm recalling, I'm hopefully not getting the details mixed up. She had written a book called Coma, How to Connect with People Who Are in a Comatose State. So then I told I told the family about that, that I actually had screwed up the message, that it was not Quantum Leap, it was Quantum Mind. And then I was like, how did he 
come across that phrase, quantum mind? Where did he even come up with that? And then his sister, the one who was dating my brother, said, you should connect with this academic friend that my brother had at the univer- at, at Arizona State University. And so she connected me with him, and he said that they were the ones who talked about quantum mind after a lecture he had given, and he referenced the hall at ASU, that we were, we were standing outside of this hall and we were talking about the idea that his, he was a musician, that his music could maybe open doors to the end uh, connecting with aliens and angels and, and, uh, the, the quantum mind, I guess. So that's how he found out about the, about the quantum mind was this guy who validated that. And this is slaying the mouse, right? Yeah, that's the book Slaying the Mouse yeah. that I wrote. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. It, 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 I've got the chills in so many levels here with stuff that is uh, just in a, my private life. Really? Yeah, incredible. This uh, The book Coma that you re-brought into my life is going to come down off that shelf. <laughs> uh, this is why I do what I do. To, you know, we're all trying to understand ourselves and our journeys and our stories. And all right, thank you, Wendy. And how do people find you in the outer world? What means modes? All of that. Your all of this will be linked in the show notes, of course. But for the sake of words and saying it out loud, what do you got? Uh, so, my, yeah, my website, which you mentioned a yeah. while ago, <laughs> lucidpathwellness.com. And uh, I'm also a podcaster and I have a, a podcast called Lucid Cafe, if you want to check that out. Excellent, which I did and enjoyed very much. So oh, thank you. On that note, thank you for coming to the Cosmic Salon. And I hope to uh, engage with you further. We will in this next segment, of course. But this has been a great pleasure and a wonderful warm up to who you are in the world and how you're lighting up the space around your light, your star. So with that, thank you. Thank you. This has been really fun. And there she goes, Wendy Alley. I would like to thank the producers of this program or show, moreover. Christy Tesmer, Jason Lampson, Marcy Shapiro, Marin Kramer, Melanie Poe, Michael Watcher, Santa Rebecca, and Patrick Newland, as well as the other patrons through my Patreon. This was a wonderful chat with Wendy and a great introduction. We get deeper into all of this on the back hour or in the back hour. And if you're interested in that, you may find me on Patreon forward slash niche with two eyes. I would like to remind everyone that we're diving into consciousness and we're diving into the idea of who we are within the well of consciousness, the greater consciousness, the I am that I am in consciousness. 
that little spark, the little eye, the big eye. And so with that, I hope you remain open with me and are able to traverse the things that may seem to contradict each other. Yet I find that there are bridges in very strange places. Bridges where we may not see them at this point, but through the idea of further exploration, sometimes out of the deep mist, we see something that connected two planes that were not visible before. So with that, keep walking and exploring these ideas with me, hopefully here in the Cosmic Salon. Thank you.